0: I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes twelve books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zippybooks.com, and we have a magazine called Zippy Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zippymag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com, and I recently opened a books. Store in LA called Zibi's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings, but this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Lee McMullen Abramson is the author of A Likely Story, a novel. Lee was also one of our guests at the recent Fierce Women Retreat that I threw at Canoe Place and if you haven't heard about that go check it out on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also you can join our next retreat which will be in Charleston April 28th to 30th and we have three more that we're planning right now well maybe two more anyway it's going to be very exciting and Lee was such a wonderful guest and panelist for the whole weekend it was amazing Anyway, Lee has written for The Atlantic, The New York Times, Tablet Magazine, and more. She grew up in New York City, the daughter of a children's author and an illustrator, Lee's parents often collaborated on picture books, many based on Lee's own childhood experiences. Lee studied ballet at the School of American Ballet into her teens, but eventually rebelled against her artistic family by going to law school. She practiced law for several years before following her passion for writing. Lee now lives in New York City and Vermont with her husband and two young children. Welcome, Lee. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss a likely story, a novel. Thank you. I'm so
3: excited to be here.
0: As you know, I mean, I've been saying this since you first sent me this galley and I started reading and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. We have to do events. We have to do this. We have to do that. And obviously I've known you for a very long time, but it is such a joy to like open up a book and fall in love again with someone in a whole new way through their words. It's so great. I'm so excited for you. Oh, well thank you. Thank you. That honestly, you were such a,
3: a satisfying reader. And <laughs> I know you are that for many people, not just me, but I thank you for that because it really does make this whole profession worth it when someone reads your work and is gives you such a generous, satisfying reaction. So
0: thank you. Uh no problem. Yeah. You have so much talent. I'm like so excited to see how you know the response of this book how your whole career unfolds. I'm just like very excited to watch. I mean, <laughs> I was literally just telling someone on my team downstairs, I was like, and we were in baby groove with our babies yeah. and, and my brother. Anyway, it's so funny. Yes. I think I met you for the first time at
3: your birthday party in like the late nineties, maybe. <laughs> time. That's fine. Oh, my oh my gosh. Okay. Lee, tell us what is a likely story about? So A likely Story is about the daughter of a very famous writer who is trying to be a writer herself, and she's having a very hard time doing it. And the book begins when her mother has passed away suddenly, leaving her alone with her very famous father and feeling very adrift and very concerned about her career and her life as she's about to turn 35. So, she is struggling to write a book. She's having a lot of rejection. She feels very consumed by this and that she is going to be a failure. So, as she's going through the process of processing her mother's death, she finds something that was left for her. And that sort of sets her off on a course. I don't want to give too much away, but that leads to success. But also puts her into a, a sort of impossible situation and has her keeping very big secrets and feeling a t- turmoil in a different in a different way. And throughout that, she and her father have to come to a sort of new understanding of each other and their work.
0: Excellent pitch. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I liked, most about the book is how you describe people and situations in such like the way you observe people and things, even the simplest things like waving people on to like, you know, get a crowd to be quiet, like in Europe, you know, just like the way you say that, like people just don't write that that motion that often, like you just, like, I'm not being very clear, but there's just like a tiny, it's just one of a bazillion examples. I could open any page and give more, but just the way you see things and the way you say things, especially about society and especially about writers. Oh my gosh, I have so much to ask. Okay. Let's talk about writers first. Ward is obsessed with his own fame and getting, you know, it's like secret snooping sessions with his own letters and you know, trying to go to stores where they idolize him. Uh tell me about writing that character, where he came from, and just the development of of that whole thing. And then also I want to know about just how you started becoming such a great writer, like your training, where this came from. So just go on those two tangents.
3: Okay. Well, so Ward. I've always been really interested in really successful, famous people because I look at a really famous person and I think, wow, like they must feel so good. They must feel so satisfied. But I actually think with a lot of really successful people, it's the opposite. It's never enough. The adulation must be constant, like a drip, or they feel anxiety. And and it, it leads them to be successful, but it also, you know, is ultimately really almost difficult. And, and something I always think about when I think about this is the movie Soap Dish from the early nineties.
0: Oh my God. I love that movie.
3: Wasn't it Sally Field? Yeah. yeah. Sally Field is a famous soap opera actress. And when she's feeling bad, like she's not getting enough attention, she has her assistant or manager who's Whoopi Goldberg go to with her to a mall in New Jersey. And like pretend to recognize her so she can spend the rest of the day having people like come up to her and signing autographs and like get that sort of hit of, you know, adoration. And I think so when I think about Ward, I think he would also fit into that Sally Fields character of kind of it's never enough. So, yes, he is obsessed with reading his own fan mail and he is you know doing anything he can to put himself into situations where he will be complimented and you know have his ego like boosted up in the way that he really wants that so i think that's something that i always was really super interested in and i wanted to explore and with ward and i hope you know he's obviously a narcissist he obviously is a, you know does some not so great things in the book but in a way, it's like, I wanted to look at like the flip side of that, which is actually kind of lonely and a little pathetic ultimately for him. So, so yeah, that's Ward. in terms of writing. I always like to write as a child, but my parents are, my m- mother writes children's books. My father's an artist. So I was like, I'm definitely going to do something totally different. I, I, you know, I wanted to not follow in their path. So I went to law school and became a lawyer and didn't really like it very much because I don't like conflict, which is probably something I should have thought about before I went into litigation. <laughs> so yeah, but I, I did like the writing aspect of it. And I say this in my acknowledgements, but I clerked for a judge. and She told me that I was very good at writing the like story of what happened in the case. And she didn't really say anything about the actual legal part, which was probably weaker. Um... And it made me think, and I was writing these really long opinions, you know, drafting, helping draft these really long opinions. And there was something about that. I remember one time I thought, like, I just, you know, helped draft this 60-page opinion. Maybe I could write something that's long in a book, but it took me a long time to kind of work up the, the nerve. And I started writing kind of articles and essays and getting them published here and there. And finally... Then I did a year of an MFA at Columbia in nonfiction, but then I had a baby and I also had decided that I thought I wanted to write a fictional book. So I only did the one year of the MFA and then I just kind of started trying it out on my own. And yeah, that's kind of how it worked. But it was a long, long process as I think is the case for many, many writers.
0: I feel like the headline should be like, MFA dropout makes it. Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) Right. No, it's true. Um, You know, I really liked it. It was just once I once I had a baby, and I thought I was in the nonfiction program, and thought I wanted to write fiction.
0: It just didn't. No, didn't make any sense. Uh, No, so smart to not waste any more time. So, when you started this novel, what was the kernel of an idea that really drew you to do it? And then once you started working on it how, like, just take me through that whole thing and how long it took and which direction do you win, and just the whole thing.
3: So I had worked on another novel for a while about like, you know, right, I read that um, intrig- law- lawyers or something at a law firm, which, you know, then after I wrote it, my agent who is, I love so much and who has just done so much for me. She took me on based on that novel, but warned me, like, no one wants to read about like workplace
0: novels about
3: lawyers. (laughs) And I was like, you're probably, you're probably right. Cause it wasn't like a thriller. It wasn't a legal thriller.
0: Chandler Baker Whisper Network. Yes. Like a huge success, but anyway.
3: Yes. No, this was more about, you know, lawyers kind of anguish at their being lawyers. But in any way, maybe it was a little (laughs) too like close to home. So, so that, so that didn't work out. And I started writing another novel, but certainly you know, my main character is a frustrated writer, right? So I think I kind of leaned into that a little bit. I wanted to explore ambition, artistic ambition within a family. I'm an only child. So the like triangular structure of an only child family is interesting to me. So I wanted to think about like how, how like ambition is experienced by like three members of the same family. And that was how the books kind of started And I wrote, I wrote it, I don't even know, it took me like a year and a half to write like a really solid draft. And then I kind of thought, well, I think this is close. And then it was like March of 2020. So obviously everything shut down. I didn't really work on it for six months because I was just dealing with having kids at home and, you know not going crazy. And then when I opened it back up in September of 20, I realized that the major problem with the book was that the whole book is referencing this mystery manuscript, but the manuscript did not appear in the book. So I went back in and I added like snippets from the manuscript into the book, which I think was a huge that was a real like aha moment that I think made the book work much better. And then, so I worked on it for maybe like another six to eight months. And then, then it was sent in, you sent out.
0: What was that like? Did it get picked up right away? It must've.
3: Yeah. It was quick. The process was quick. I actually remember because I, you know, I was very nervous and I thought like, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm just going to have to do something else. And You know, my agent was very good at like, I will let you know if there's news, if there's not news, you're not going to hear from me. And it was, I decided I'm just going to leave my phone inside and I was playing with my daughter outside and because at that time we were living in Vermont and I was playing with her for like an hour or two and I came in and I had like seven missed calls from her and she was like, where have you been? Oh my (laughs) God. Of course, it's like the time you look away is when things happen.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's so exciting. Is it a preempt or auction preempt? Oh my gosh, so cool.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month.
1: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Moms Don't Have Time. Cool. So amazing. So let's talk about the character of Isabel for a little bit. This, as you said, frustrated writer, daughter of somebody very famous, mm-hmm. which brings its own sort of set of complications, mm-hmm. trying to make her own impression in the world. How did you tap into that? Like, what is that? And did you, I mean, I know your parents are obviously well known and, you know, your dad's posters are like gorgeous at Lincoln Center oh, and you. all of that. And, thank you know, I'm familiar with having outsized figures in my life. So tell me about just that character and that particular piece of it and what that does to a character or a child or whatever.
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't, you know, I feel like I understood a little bit about having, I mean, my parents are not super famous at all, but I understood having, you know, a parent that had some public facing kind of persona and that people thought was very talented at, in an artistic way. So I did have that kind of way to get into the character. And But I also just felt like interested in the idea of being the child of someone so successful and, and how that's actually like really hard, I think in a way that people may not think about a lot because it seems like, well, that would be amazing. And, and, and I think it has benefits, but I also think it's really it's really hard. And, and so for Isabel, you know, she's also not always a likable character, but I think she really is doing something which is pretty universal, which is seeking like parental approval. And I think she feels that the only way to do that is through being a successful writer. And that's the only way to get, you know, her father's attention and have him really like see her as you know a worthy kind of successor to him and obviously through the course of the book that's somewhat challenged but I think she's very myopically focused on that goal because she she feels she wants
0: approval interesting tell me about the decision to have the accident be a part of things
3: so I felt like there needed to be something very jarring to happen to Claire for her to make some of the decisions that she made around, you know, her own aspirations. And I think as mothers, at least for me, I always feel like a sense of guilt, even if it's not, even if it's not rational, if I'm not if I take my attention away from my kids and, and, and a sense of like, is it going to be okay if I'm not like focus on them all the time, is that going to be okay? And, and how will that work out? So I think, you know, if something bad happens to your child, you know, I can understand her feeling like, okay, like I just need to focus like only on my child and have this feeling of like, nothing else matters. I think that's something that some parents struggle with of like how, you know, how to balance not just your time, but your focus and your energy. And there's not always connections between those two things, but I'm someone who can create connections and very easily feel like something bad happened. Let me retrace how this is my fault. (laughs) So, you know, I think she had a little bit of that and the accident kind of caused her to think that way, probably not
0: rightly. Well, you wrote Claire so well that I found myself, like, missing her along with – No, really, along with Isabel and, like, you you know, even, like, these little things about her, like how – nobody was like scraping the bottom of the pot in the kitchen or like a little like grocery list Uh, these just these tiny little details about her um and then of course you know you develop her character so well and everything I don't know I just I feel like I miss her
3: (laughs) well she's probably the most likable one I mean maybe her and Brian are the most likable characters in the book
0: (laughs) And Brian is the, the best friend who, you know, years ago had a crush on Isabel and then they just become like really close friends. What made you do that and not have them be in a relationship or have her have a love interest at all in that, you know, at least in the parts of it and, you know, well, I
3: think so originally when I first started writing it, they were together actually. But I ultimately felt like Brian had to be the stand-in for the reader. He has to be the one who's able to like have the perspective of like, this family's values are kind of out of whack. This isn't actually normal. Like the things she takes for granted and cares about aren't actually the things that most people are so focused on. So it was really important to get that perspective. And I felt like if he was like, her boyfriend or married to her, he would not have the right amount of distance. There needed to be a little bit of more space between them, at least for, you know, most of the book. So I think he's kind of important for the reader to put their frustrations into Isabel and Ward. Like he provides that outlet a little bit. And I thought he could do it better as not a member of the family or more as the, like the friend, the outsider.
0: And the locations also play big roles in the story. The the Upper East Side of Manhattan, Sag Harbor, in the Hamptons. and How Ward sort of discovered it, and you know has been there for so long, and hates the summer crowd, just like all the regulars. And you know just how he keeps. You know, you you take the reader and the characters sort of back and forth throughout the course of the book. Tell me about just developing that sense of place and what that did, and you know just your thought behind that.
3: Well, I definitely feel like. A setting I need to know well to write about it because it's something that I feel like people really enjoy when you get right. And it's annoying if you get it wrong. Though there was a very nice copy editor at Simon & Schuster at Atria, who I will forever be grateful for because she helped me. There's a scene where Ward is driving from Side Harbor to, to Riverhead. And she was like, no, 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 no. You're taking the wrong roads. <laughs> and I was like, thank you because... I had gotten kind of mixed up, but but I think it's the kind of thing that readers really, if they know a setting better than you, mm-hmm. they'll notice that. So I want to like, you know, kind of make sure I know a setting really well. And so, so I did do it in New York and Sag Harbor because I felt like I knew those places well enough to really like ground the book there. And, you know, we'll see in future books, like maybe someday I'll be able to like go spend six weeks in Paris and and write a book there. But for now, I'm going to have to stick with (laughs) the places I know.
0: (laughs) So what are you thinking about for your next book?
3: Well, we spent a lot of time in Vermont over the pandemic. So I'm thinking of setting a book there about a woman who inherits a bookstore in mysterious circumstances. But it's slow going, not a fast
0: writer. (laughs) That's okay. I know you have this whole community of other Awesome women authors, many of whom have been on my podcast and who I know as well, like Judy Battalion and Alyssa Friedland and Lauren Smith Brody, right? And who are, who is like your whole crew? They're awesome. They're all awesome in their own so, right.
3: So Judy and I met at
0: Columbia. And we are fellow
3: dropouts.
0: (laughs) So funny.
3: (laughs) He and I were in a class together at Columbia and I was pregnant and she had a baby fairly recently. And so we kind of, you know, while the people in their early twenties were like at bars drinking, we were kind of in our own little worlds and yeah, she's amazing. I love her so much and her books are so, so good. So yeah, she's great. Um, Her book is light of days and it's. It's amazing. And yeah, and then Lauren Smith Brody and Alyssa Friedland, I met at the Society Library because we were all working on books there uh, at the same time. So yeah, no, it's really important, I think, to have because you don't really have coworkers as a writer, as you know. So it's it is really important to have friends and people you can sort of talk to about what you're going through. And
0: yeah. And as you were going, did you show them or did you show anyone your pages? I did. I showed my husband like a really rough draft
3: that he was like, this is pretty rough. Oh. <laughs> um, but no, it was, he was definitely right. And then he read it again when it was. done. And he was like, wow, like, this is amazing that it went from that to this. And so that was good. And Judy read it. I think Alyssa and Lauren both read it like as it, as it kind of progressed. And then, you know, when we were getting ready to sell it, we had some like cold readers who didn't know me had no, no allegiance to me read it and, and kind of give feedback, which was really helpful.
0: Wow. So having been through this journey and now about to you know, have this be out in the world, what advice would you have so far for aspiring authors?
3: I mean, it's sort of simple, but I think it's just to keep going and not give up. And if you have faith in the idea and the work that like, it's, it's usually a matter of just persevering. I think that's really the most important thing. And I have to tell myself that as I start a new book, cause I don't, I don't know
0: how you feel, but I don't feel like it gets much easier. Yeah. I don't think it does for anybody, (laughs) Uh, but even Ward, I mean, and that's like so great, you know, here he is this, you think it's so easy for him, but you're like, meanwhile, his sales have been declining each book. And so he's like, you know, buying up stock and like trying to make an impression, you know, he feels like totally um, insecure about it. Yeah. I think
3: that's, you know, unfortunately, like, I do think that's kind of, there are probably very few authors who are like, I'm good. Like it's just kind of coasting from here on out. It's probably not, doesn't work
0: like that. Well, ultimately it's art, right? And so any creative project, product you put out into the world, you just don't, you just don't know. And there's some like, I don't know, some sort of alchemy that happens when you're making something. And it's like, is it going to happen? Is it not? Like, is it going to come out of my fingers? Like, or my fingers or whatever. And you just sort of have to hope that it happens, but
3: (laughs) I think that is true. I also think I'd be really concerned if I wrote something and I was like, Oh, that was easy. I think I'd probably be like, I'm missing something. Like, right. yeah. yeah. I don't know if it is actually what I think it is. I, I think I remember reading some advice somewhere that's like, if you write something and think like, this is the best thing I've ever written, like give it a week and like yeah. go back and look <laughs> at it because it's probably not.
0: <laughs> well, I have to say your type of writing too, where the sentences themselves are beautiful. I mean, this is like a literary writing style. It's not just like, what comes out of your head? I mean, it's beautiful. Like it's okay. beautiful, right? You can't rush that. You can't just like like. Drrr, you have to think about the words. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
3: It's interesting though, because like some of the like phrases and sentences, like I thought of, and like they made it through the book, but I almost like thought of them, and then the book kind of threw mm. around a little bit. In some cases, in some cases, like I write a lot of nonsensical emails to myself with like descriptive terms and things that I'm like, Oh, I want to use that. Or, you know, cause they kind of come to you at random intervals. So if someone looked at my email, they'd be like, what is she? Cause there's lots of just, just not sequiturs.
0: <laughs> just out of curiosity. And like last question, the writers who you love or, you know, comps you had for this book or like, you know, readers of, or whatever, like where are you seeing the book or what, who are the people you love and all of that?
3: You know, I think. The comps for this book that we use, um, it's sort of like the nest and the plot, Mm -hmm. like those books kind of together a little bit. And both of those books I really admire. Um, I think that the writers are so talented. In terms of books, you know, I love that I've read recently, Flight by Lynn Mm -hmm. Strong. I just thought it was amazing. So, so good. I got a chance to read... Laura Hankins' new book, mm-hmm. Daydreams, Daydream. which is yeah. really good and fun and just, which is coming out in May. And right now I'm actually reading a memoir that someone who read my book recommended called Also a Poet. Oh yeah. By yeah. Talhoun, which is some of the similar, you know, successful father-daughter dynamics. So it's interesting to read that after having written about some of those, some of those
0: issues. So interesting. Well, Lee, I'm so excited for you. I'm excited you're being a huge part of the retreat that we have on March 11th in Hampton Bays, not quite Sag Harbor, but close enough. (laughs) And yeah, just so excited for you.
3: Oh well, thank you, thank you, Sibby, thank you for having me on. I, well, I remember when you started this podcast, and I was writing, and in my mind, I was like, I hope one day I will get to go on this podcast. <laughs> so here I am, and I made it, and you, you made
0: it, and I still am doing the podcast. <laughs> no, it's amazing. So thank you okay. so much. You so, really
3: appreciate it.
0: No problem. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I will see you very okay. soon then. See you soon. Thanks so much. All right, bye, Lee. Thanks.